You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in troubling, difficult situations because of a dumb and terrible decision we have made. And then sometimes you find yourself in a, a troubling situation, a difficult situation, because other people have made dumb decisions and terrible decisions. It's the latter that we find this morning in Scripture, in the story we're going to be walking through together. So with your copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 16, the first book of the Bible, 16 chapters in. Let's get there together. In your copy of God's Word, or on your smartphone, or your app on your tablet, or maybe look next to someone who has their Bible open, Genesis chapter 16. As you get there, let me uh, give you a little context, a little backdrop of what's happening before we jump into this great chapter. God has promised Abram, uh, who eventually will become Abraham, but it's later than the chapter we're in. So Abram means father, Abraham means father of many. So God renames him, gives him a promise later on and renames him Abraham. But right now in the story, his name is Abram and his wife's name is Sarai. Later in the scripture, she'll become Sarah. But right now in this story, Genesis 16, she's Sarah. So Abram and Sarah, they've been given a promise by God that they're going to have a son. And this son's going to create such an incredible family, family legacy that there'll be more members of it than there are stars in the sky. And out of this family legacy will come the greatest hero of all time, the Messiah, the one that would rescue God's people. So that promise has been given to them is back in Genesis chapter 15. It's just in the, the chapter before, uh, Genesis 15 verses four and five, that promise has been given to them. Uh, they have to be excited. There, there's there's great, great joy now in the life of Abram and Sarai and this incredible promise that they'll be blessing all the nations through this promise. But there's a problem. It's been 10 years and they're not getting any younger. And they're wondering, when is this child, when is this son, when is this blessing coming? And they're living in that time of tension between the promise of God and the fulfillment of the promise of God. And probably a lot of us in this house, we have lived in that tension before. In fact, really, the big picture, we're living all in that tension right now. The promise of one day seeing Christ face to face, Christ returning and, and that promise being fulfilled. So that's the tension that Abram and Sarai are living in. 10 years have gone by, still no son. So go to verse one of Genesis chapter 16. Go to verse one with me, please. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Let's, let's stop. Children were the capital of the day. They were the currency. If you had kids, if you had, if you had a multiple kids, it had, you had a lot of capital. You, uh, you were worth a lot. You had a lot of blessings from God. So here's a lady who has not had a child, even though 10 years earlier, God said that you will have a child. So she has no children. She feels like she's letting her husband down because her husband, Abram, he's the leader of the clan. He's the leader of the tribe. So not only does she feel like she's letting down her husband, she also feels like she's letting down her tribe. Also earlier in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, when God also tells Abram and Sarah that, that a son is coming, God tells them that all the world, the entire world will be blessed by the coming of this son. And so not only does she feel like she's letting down her husband and letting down her tribe, she probably feels like she's letting down the entire world. What, what pressure? So here she is at this point, you know, has borne no children at all. And she's probably emotionally and, and psychologically spent and so Verse one, the second half, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. 
And Sarah said to her husband, Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now, she acknowledges God in her present circumstances, but she does not seek God. She acknowledges God. It is God who has done this. He has prevented me from bearing children, but he stops, she stops short. She doesn't seek God. So here's, here's her idea. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Some of us have a tendency to take on more burden and more responsibility than we should. Sometimes we take on the responsibility of what we think God should be doing. We kind of step in and see if we can help him out a little bit. Sometimes we say, God, your, your promises, I know what you promised, but, but, but I've got a great idea. Let me step in front of your promises. Let me step in front of your idea, God. And sometimes through our human efforts, we try to bring to pass what God has promised. And that's what's happening right here in, in the mind and the life of Sarai. Rather than turning to God, she begins to turn to her own schemes. Verse three. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, so 10 years has passed by since the promise of Genesis 15, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Now, if you're relatively new to church, let me just stop and say polygamy in the Bible has never condoned, it's never supported. In fact, if you trace all the stories out, of those men who had multiple wives or had concubines, it never ends well for them. So just know this is never supported in the scripture to have more than, than one wife. This is the, 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 the scheme of, of Sarah, the scheme of, of Abram. They were wrapped up in their own agenda. And so her masters, Abram and Sarah, they, they forced Hagar uh, to carry this child, to be a surrogate mother to their child. Verse four, and he went into Hagar. He slept with Hagar and she conceived and when she, meaning Hagar, saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her, on her mistress. She began to look on, with contempt onto Sarah. Now, in Hebrew, it's a really interesting Hebraic expression. It says here that Sarah became small in the eyes of Hagar. So now the wife of the tribal leader, Sarah, she now appears small to Hagar because now Hagar is happy. She's proud. She did what Sarah could not do. And she's probably walking around that campground with a tube top on, making sure everyone sees that belly. <laughs> Look what I did. Guess who this belongs to? The, the chief, the head of the clan, the head of the tribe. And it says here that Hagar began to look at Sarah and thought less of Sarah, saw her as, as being small. And Sarah said to Abram, <laughs> I love, love how the story turns here. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. In other words, this one's on you, Abram. This is your fault. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. She thinks I'm small. May the Lord judge between you and me. In other words, God is on my side too, as she has this argument. Men, you understand what's happening right here, don't you? Sarah had a terrible idea. And all of a sudden, it's Abram's terrible idea. Amazing how that got transferred over to Abram. But in verse six, but the wimp, that's not in your Bible, it's just in my head, but the wimp, Abram, said to Sarah, now this is a very poor example of biblical manhood. Behold, your servant is in your power. Just do to her as you please. Now, Abram, now we definitely know he's a man, he shifts the blame back to Sarah. 
I mean, Abram and Sarah would have been wonderful Adam and Eve's, right? Because they were doing this, the first couple blame shifting all the time. Here's kind of the next big couple in the Bible, blame shifting all the time. Then Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So with Abram's blessing, Sarah begins to grow in her intensity, begins to attack Hagar with cruelty, reasserting her position of power over Hagar. And Hagar was abused and mistreated so severely that as a pregnant lady, she runs out into the wilderness. Let me just make a quick observation here about these two ladies in particular, about Hagar and Sarah. These two ladies are being shaped by the culture to form their identity. Sarah says that she's nothing without a child. Hagar says she's now everything because she has a child. They're being shaped by their culture. This thinking is placed on them by their culture. So you might want to write this down in your notes somewhere or write this down in your heart somewhere and wrestle with this. Where you choose to find your identity will directly influence your security. Where you choose, and this is a choice that we have, where you choose to find your identity will directly influence your security. So if you're looking for your identity in your looks or, or your strength or, or your power or your intellect, your grades, your ability, your fame, your, your social position, your social status, those things, here's the problem with those things, those things change. If you're finding your identity in, in who you are right now in a temporary way, your, your good health, your, your good friends, your good situation, your good job. Here's the deal. All of those things are in flux. So therefore, your security also is up and down. When I say security, I mean your confidence, your, 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 your peace is just up and down. Your confidence is up and down. Your security is up and down. And these two ladies, they were finding their identity. It was shaped by the culture around them. And they had no peace. They, they had no establishment. They had no confidence. They had no security. And let me just say that if you live life like that on that playing field, here's the problem. There's always someone better and stronger and wealthier and faster and smarter and more popular and more famous. If that's the playing field you're gonna play on in life, there's always someone better than you. And those situations of identity this go up and down when we choose to place them in temporary things and we have no confidence, we have no establishment, we have no peace, we have no security. But if you find your identity in the character of God or as New Testament believers, we find our identity in who Christ says that we are, then it's fixed, then it's settled. Our peace, our establishment, our, our confidence, our security, it, it is as secure as the character of Christ itself. And these two ladies are still figuring that out. Where you choose to find your identity will directly influence your security. Look at verse seven. So the angel of the Lord, who's this? Your pastor thinks it's Jesus. I, I'm not sold on it, but I'm pretty certain it's Jesus. If it's not Jesus, which is called a Christophany in the Old Testament, when Jesus appears pre-incarnate, it is certainly a theophany. God himself is showing up. Now, we'll, we'll realize later on, I won't give all the story away, but we realize later on that this has to be either Christ or God because of a blessing that they give that only the Father or deity can give, the Father, the Son, the Spirit could give. And later on, Hagar recognizes this is God. And this happens a lot. Remember, an angel comes to Gideon, 
Gideon thinks he's talking to an angel, and then all of a sudden Gideon realizes, man, this is an angel, this is God. We saw this a few weeks ago uh, when Jacob was wrestling with what he thought was an angel. Later on, Jacob realized, no, this is actually God that is speaking to me. This is either a Christophany right here, an angel who actually is Christ pre-incarnate, or this is God himself, and I think you'll see why in a little bit. The angel of the Lord found her, man. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, and you're not gonna use your pencil for anything else, underline those two words, found her. There is theology so deep in those two words and comfort so rich in those two words that you can't tell because I have a long sleeve shirt on, but I have goosebumps running up and down my arm right now. God found her. He found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to shore. Let me help you with your geography very quickly. That means she's going home. She has left the land of Canaan. She has left the, the campground of Abraham or Abram, and now she's headed back south. She is headed back to Egypt. That is the spring on the way to shore. She's going back home. She's trying to get home. And so here along a desert road beside a remote unnamed well, the Lord approaches a pregnant runaway slave. And he said, verse eight, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Gave her the word to the Cotton Eye Joe, right? Where have you come from? Where are you gonna go? Servant of Sarah, where have you come from? <coughs> Sorry, and where are you going? Where'd you come from? Where are you going? It's amazing how differently God speaks to her than her human masters. He calls her by name, first of all, Hagar. The Lord knows she's a slave, yet calls her by name. Where have you come from and what, what's next for you? Where are you headed? It had to be strange for Hagar to be asked such a personal question when prior to this, all she did was simply obey. She was just told what to do. I doubt, and we'll find out when we get to heaven, I doubt rarely, if ever, Hagar was asked such a personal question in her entire life. She was a slave. She was just told what to think, told where to go, told where she was coming from. And God asked her that question, where have you come from? Where, Hagar, where are you going? What's next? What, what an odd question, right? I mean, did, did, does God know the answer? Of course. And God does this, by the way, all throughout scripture also. He said it to Adam, remember? Hey, Adam, where are you? as if God was limited in his sovereign sight, as if God didn't have the capability of knowing where the one human male was at that time. I, I know where you are, Adam. It is my way of saying stop. He did the same with Moses. Moses, where are you? He, he knew where Moses was. He just does the same later on with Gideon. Gideon, where are you? He knew where Gideon was. Anytime God asks a question like this, you know, where, where are you? Where are you coming from? What, what is next for you? It's really a question that makes people stop. What was your yesterday like? I care for you. And what's the trajectory of your life? Would it be, could it be that God might ask us that question this morning? Son, daughter, what have you been doing? Who are you and what's next? What is the trajectory of your choices? This is what God is asking Hagar. It's a big question. Who are you and what's the trajectory of your life? And she said, here's who I am. I'm fleeing, I'm running. I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. 
Verse nine is kind of interesting because it tends to bother people, but I'll, let's go ahead and get bothered together. Verse nine, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. We don't like that part. We like the Disney movie where a special light comes out from heaven and this beautiful music starts up and all of a sudden a magic carpet comes and picks her up and takes her back home to Egypt where she's reunited forever with her mom and her dad. Disney didn't write this. Here's what God's word says. I want you to go back, return to your mistress. I want you to submit to her. It's a direction of trust. What God is saying is, I want you to return, and in the return, I will provide for you. There will be food for you. There will be shelter for you. You will go back underneath the blessing of Abram. And she does, by the way. This isn't in this story, but it continues on for the next several chapters. She does go back, and really for about 12 years or so, everything is good under under the house, under the blessing of of Abram, who then becomes Abraham. But but let me just stop right here and say this. You can't put this verse on top of an abusive relationship in the 21st century. So if you're in an abusive relationship, there's abuse in your home, in your marriage, or abuse by a parent, or abuse by, by someone um, in, in your family, someone in your employment. If you're being abused, get out of there. Call law enforcement and go to a place of peace and safety. The only thing I would say that would make me pull back on that is unless an angel comes to you and tells you to go back. If God himself tells you to go back, don't listen to me on this. But if God hasn't come to you in the form of an angel to tell you to go back to an abusive relationship, you get out of that abuse. And you call who needs to be called and you get to a place and get your family to a place of safety. So don't try to, not that you would, but some people perhaps have in the past used this verse of just telling a lady to go back into the, the home of an abusive husband or an abusive boyfriend or to tell a man or a young man to go back into a house of abuse. That is not what this scripture is saying. God is telling Hagar himself, I will take care of you, go back, and I will use Abraham to be a blessing for you. Verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, and this is how we know it's not just an angel, this has to be God or Christ pre-incarnate, because listen to this, I will surely multiply your offspring, an angel doesn't give that promise, I surely will multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. If children are capital, she just hit the jackpot. This is lottery for her. And the angel of the Lord said to her, because you are, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Ishmael, the name means God hears. Shama in Hebrew means to hear. El means God. Ishama, El, Ishmael means God hears. And maybe I do this more than I should. Let me just step out of the scripture for a second. That means the rest of her life when she was raising Ishmael, every time she called him in for dinner, he said, she said, God hears. Every time it was time for him to do his chores, when she called for him, she would say, God hears, Ishmael, God hears. Her son became a constant reminder of a God who found her and listened to her. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> if you have a three-year-old boy in your house, you have living that prophecy right now probably, right? A wild donkey of a man. 
And his hand's gonna be against everybody and everyone's hand's gonna be against him and, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. In other words, God was already preparing Hagar that your son is gonna have a difficult life. The next decade will be fine. And then Isaac's gonna be born and all dysfunction blows up again in the household of Abraham and Sarah. And Ishmael is gonna be a warrior He's gonna fight and people will fight against him. She is, he is letting her know that he's gonna have a difficult life that's gonna be filled with dysfunction. And even in that, you begin to see the grace of God saying, Hagar, I'm gonna be with you. It's gonna be a difficult life as you watch your son raised. I've told you what Ishmael means. You know what the name Hagar means? It means stranger. Because up to this point, really in this story, she has been a stranger to belonging, a stranger from, from being known, a stranger from being cared for. She's been a stranger from the promise of God. The promise was given to Abram and to Sarah, and she was outside of that blessing, outside of that promise. But now she has been given a promise when God said to her in verse 10, I'm gonna multiply your offspring so that they cannot be, num- out, be even numbered for the multitude that there is. God now initiates a relationship with her, and this woman who is a stranger is now known by God and cared for by God. And now inside of a promise herself. And Christian, let me just tell you, that's our story too. We were outside of the promise, now we're in the promise. We were outside of being loved and being cared for and we were unadopted and he brought us in. I don't know if you've caught this these last five weeks But the name of this sermon series, Close, really kind of is at least the subtitle, A Misnomer. I've been saying to you, let's look at some stories in the Bible where people drew close to God. Have you noticed no one drew close to God and God drew close to every one of them? Have you noticed it was not Jacob trying to look for God? God came and found Jacob. It wasn't Joshua out looking for who I think is Jesus. He was out scouting on a military scouting trip and, and, and Jesus comes to him. Jesus draws close to him. A couple of weeks ago when Drew was preaching, it was God who came to Elijah and told Elijah to go to Zarephath. Last week, it was not Elijah looking for God. God came and looked for Elijah and spoke to him in a still small voice. In the same way right here, it was not Hagar looking for God. In fact, I hope that you see this. It was not Hagar saying, God, where are you? God, I'm having a difficult time. She was not calling out for God at all. God came close to her. So I retract the last five weeks of the title of the series. Instead, it's God drawing close to us. None of these characters was looking to find God. God found them and pursued them. And let's just go deeper than that. I want you to know, you can write this down. God found you so that you could find him. Have you noticed it's always God that does the the initiation with all these characters we've seen from, from Joshua to Jacob to Elijah and now here in Hagar, God found her. Remember, we saw that back in the passage. God found you so that you could find him. So if anyone here in this house today, if you know God or know even anything about God at all, you need to know he is the one who initiated it. He is the one that began to draw close to you. Let me put it this way. God loves you more than you love him. God has sought you more than you have sought him out. You are more on the radar of God than God is on your radar. God does the initiation. Here's you can write in your notes as well. He is the initiator of all things faith. The only reason I found Jesus and the only reason you found Jesus is that Jesus found us. 
And I'm not trying to espouse a certain system of theology by saying that. I'm just giving you good, biblical, foundational understanding of salvation. God chose us. We did not choose him. Look on the screen behind me in Ephesians chapter two. Let's bring this to the New Testament. We see the same thing. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, the believers at Ephesus. And he says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were aliens and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, and this is a passive verb, you have been brought near. God did the bringing near. God did the drawing close. And what's the currency? By the blood of Christ. What I'm trying to say, Christian, is that every believer in this house was once Hagar. Unadopted. Unchosen. Outside of the promises of the covenant of God. Aliens and strangers. Without hope. No God in our lives in this world. We were all Hagar's at one point. And you can look at the life of Hagar and you might think, you know what, this, she's not really God's type. She's not really the church type. This does not sound like a good Baptist girl right here. Let me just tell you why. She was abused. She was young. She was a woman. She was single. She was pregnant. She was a lawbreaker. She broke the law by leaving the camp of Abram and Sarah. She was lonely. She was an Egyptian. She was unchosen. She was a slave. You look at those 10 things and might have to say, you know, that doesn't really sound like, like God's type, but this is just the person God is looking for. To love, to bring in, to, to adopt, to care. She thought she was forsaken, but she was chosen. Some of you may be here today thinking, I'm not sure I'm God's type. I'm not sure if I've kind of fit in with, with organized religion. You know, I've done a lot of things. I've rebelled a lot. I've thought a lot of things. I'm not even sure there is a God. So I'm sure I'm not God's type. You can write this down and remember this as well. There is no such thing as not being God's type. And I don't care how far you've run or what you've done or what's been done to you. In fact, I'll go on record as saying this. If you think you're not God's type, you're probably perfectly God's type. One that needs bringing in the care, the love, the adoption that God Brings to us. Let's wrap this up. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord. This is how we know she was speaking to God. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Hagar enters into a relationship with God that he initiates and it changes her identity. It changes her perspective of her circumstances. She's no longer just a slave. Listen, she's no longer just a slave. Now she is a child of the promise because God drew close. And look at this, there beside the well, she proclaims, you are the God who sees me. I have seen the one who cares for me. She names the Lord, the God who sees. In Hebrew, El Roy E. Hagar, a lonely outcast, an abused slave, a single pregnant lady. Please don't miss this. She, she is the only person in the Bible to give God a name. Every other time, God identifies himself by a Hebrew name. And don't miss that pronoun. She is the only one in all of biblical history 
that gives God a name. You are El Roy E. The God who sees. Let me just say this to you. You might think that God is against you. But he is for you. And you may think that you're not God's type. Which makes you exactly God's type. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us today. What a great story. What a great God that you would take the steps. You would find this woman in a lonely, isolated, dry, dusty desert. An abused, Egyptian, unchosen, pregnant woman. And say, I'm going to give you a promise. You're not just a slave. You're not forsaken, you're chosen. You're not just a slave, you're an heir to my promise. So Father, I pray that you remind us today that you are the God who initiates all things faith. We did not choose you, you chose us. We did not go finding you, you found us. God, we thank you that you're the God who draws close and that you're for us and that you're an adopting God. A God that brings us in, a God who sees us. You are El Roy E. The God who sees our lives and cares for us. we can know the one who sees us through Christ Jesus. Thank you for your word to us today. In Christ we believe, in Christ we pray. Amen.